Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Now we begin to see in our scripture this morning the new things that he will be doing. So, folks, bottom line is it's time to get excited. If you if you've seen and hung with us during Revelation through the doom and the gloom and the judgment and all of those things, then you are in a good place because we are here to celebrate the king. And before I go any further, I want to remember our friends. Some of them are homebound. Some of them are uh, unable to get out right now. They are watching or will be watching on Facebook Live because I forgot to start it. So we want to make sure that our friends come on. Uh, yes, they, they miss the music and, and whatnot, but right now, uh, this just seems like best to do it this way. So as we introduce chapter 21 of Revelation, the book of Revelation is in really three sections. We see in chapters 1 through 3, we see the fact that Jesus is Lord over the church and all the churches. If you remember, there was seven letters to the church. Seven meaning completion, meaning that those seven letters to those seven churches basically encapsulated every church issue and every church problem. And then in chapters 4 through 20, we see how Jesus is Lord over all the nations. And now we see in chapters 21 and 22, Jesus, the Lamb of God among believers. So as has spring has already sprung. I looked it up. Sprung is actually a word. Did you know that? As spring has sprung on us, many of us are cleaning out, throwing away, donating to charities and cleaning up. But the truth is, if you want to clean up something, you also have to prepare something else. Like if I want to clean up a space in my room and put something new in there, you got to move something out. To start that, right? Well, God has cleaned out sin from the world at this point in the book of Revelation. And it has been wiped away. So now we begin to see in our scripture this morning the new things that he is doing. Well, we'll jump right in with verse 1 of chapter 21. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth has disappeared And the sea was also gone. So we're talking about the new heaven and the new earth. And my friends, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, as for all of Revelation, especially in these chapters, you can find many commentaries that will go many different ways on what I'm sharing with you. But my hope, my prayer, is that we are looking at Revelation with a broad brush to come out with the true life application principles that will affect us in our daily lives. And so when it says that there is a new heaven and a new earth, there have been some people that said that this new heaven and new earth is exactly what it says, a new beginning. But then there are some people that say, well, this new heaven and new earth is basically a good remodel. So to understand this, To understand the New Jerusalem, you need to go back in the Old Testament. There's several verses, but I'm going to show you one right now. In Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 19. Now, again, this is in Isaiah. This is prophesied a long time before John wrote this. It says, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. So be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look. I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. 
I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. Other scriptures like Psalm 102 and 2 Peter 3 also declare the new heaven and the new earth. But here I want you to know, when it says new, it means new. The new house will not be like an episode of Fixer Upper or Love It or List It or all those other real estate shows that are on TV right now where they put a few more screen doors on it and put a new kitchen in there and, and sell it for five times as much. That is not what the new heaven and new earth is going to be. It is going to be a resurrected earth. The actual Greek word translated there means new, new in character, new or fresh. The new earth will not be a continuation of the earth during Jesus' thousand-year reign of chapter 20. It will be new. So at this point, we begin to see the timeline of earth, as mankind knows it, is coming to an end. And we see here that there's nothing like the smell of new. Am I right? What are some new things that you enjoy the smell of? How about a new baby? New babies always smell good. I always like to get a new Bible. New Bibles always smell good to me. How about a good blooming flower? Am I sick? When I was a kid in school, I always loved the beginning of school because the school supplies had that fresh smell like, man, it's time for a new year. I'm going to get smart this year. And then my brain got as dull as my pencil did. But anyway, those are some things that are new that smell good. How about new recipes? A new house or a new car, if you're ever lucky enough to get one of those. That smell is expensive, isn't it? New anything. The smell is intoxicating. And the new earth will be so great that you won't even think about the old one. I, I kind of think of, I remember when we've moved into a house or two that has been freshly Freshly made, freshly created, and you can smell the wood, you can smell everything. Man, it smells great, but then over, after you cook bacon in the kitchen a couple of times, that smell's gone, right? But hey, you're smelling bacon, so what's wrong with that? But the truth of the matter is, is that the new earth will be so great, we won't even worry about the old one. Then it says, and the sea was also gone. Now, I'm sure those of you that like to fish or surf, and have their toes in the sand, would say, whoa, preacher, we don't know about this. But I want you to understand, when it says that there will that the sea is gone, I want to explain that a little bit. Because I promise you, some of you are saying, well, if there's no sea, it doesn't sound like heaven to me. But rest assured, my friend, there is hope. Remember, the book of Revelation is written in a Hebraic Jewish mindset. And when it writes and it says... It talks about the sea. We have to understand that this is a metaphor to the Jews. The sea was a place of separation and a place of evil. They didn't have planes that could fly over it. They didn't have big ocean liners that could cruise through it. I mean, they, here they were on the sea and all the monsters and the, and the, and the fish that were under the sea that were, that they thought were trying to kill them. Sea was a, was a illustration of a separation and evil between them and God. 
And also, if you go back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, you will see that it says the beast or the Antichrist actually rose from the sea. So a way you could look at this is that it's saying not necessarily there will be no water there, but it's saying there will be no evil. There will be no separation. There will be nothing that evil will spawn from. Because Jews, they didn't like the water. They didn't like the water so much that they didn't even have their own navy. They would contract with other countries to come be their navy at the time. They could not stand water. So again, a better way to understand what is being said here is that there will be no more evil, no more separation from God, no more despair or fear of the unknown. Verse 2, it says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Man, here we see it. We see home. Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, will be our home. Philippians 3.20 says it this way. It says, But we are citizens of heaven where where, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Well, I will tell you, I've never been overseas, but I've been to a lot of places up and down the East Coast. And after every one of those trips, there's one thing in common. I always enjoy coming home. I always enjoy coming home. Even if you go and you have a great vacation, or if you have a bad vacation, a work trip, a church trip, a ministry trip, whatever it may be. There's just something about coming home, isn't it? And my friends, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we don't need to feel at home in this world. We can make a home here. We can do the best we can. We can love the Lord. We can love our family. We can serve Him. And we can make the best out of what God has given us for this. But this is not our home. When we get home, we will know it. We will feel it. We will. We are citizens of heaven. We will be where we belong. And the Bible says that we are aliens and strangers here. We're not in the world, or we're in the world, but we're not of it. Folks, heaven is our home, and here we see our homecoming down from God. Now, I'll go ahead and tell you where it says here that, uh, and I saw it was out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. (laughs) I have officiated my fair share of weddings. And my favorite point of the wedding, and I'm sure like y'all are too, is when the bride finally comes out and the groom goes, you know, and they try not to cry or sometimes they cry. Sometimes they may run. I don't know. But I've never had one run. But the truth of the matter is there's nothing about, I remember when I saw my bride for the first time walking down the aisle and I'm how, most beautiful sight I ever saw. Y'all see how I did that, right? But it's the truth, and I'm sure any man in here would say that about his bride. It's beautiful. And folks, when our bridegroom comes to take us away, and we as the church are taken back to him, he's going to look at us the same way that these grooms look at their brides. Eyes filled with tears of love and joy and thinking how beautiful this will be. Why? Because we will be home with Jesus 
We will dwell with God, it says in verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God is home now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I am so glad that I'm going to be out of a job when we get to heaven. There will be no more funerals to officiate. There will be no more tears, no more death, and no more sorrow. No longer will we have to worship God from afar. We will be with Him. He will be dwelling with us in this passage. I hope you can see how it is a callback to the Israelites when they were in the wilderness and they would travel in the wilderness for 40 years, setting up this portable tabernacle and God would dwell with them, physically dwell with them. His spirit would be with them in the holy of holies. Just as God dwelt with them, he, we will dwell with him in heaven. And notice the new Jerusalem. Notice what it does not have. It does not have death. Sorrows, tears, crying, pain, no more sun, no more moon, no more darkness, no more sin. Look, just because it has no sun does not mean that it will be dark there. Because we will be in the light of God himself. God will wipe away every tear. The tears in heaven should not be thought of the saints who are weeping for what's going on in the earth. The tears are flowing from those that are receiving comfort from God. Tears of affliction, grief, brokenheartedness, all of those will be wiped away. The tears that you shed even today will be wiped away. They have their purpose for this moment, but they will not define you in the end times. And then we see verses 5 through 8, we see five grand proclamations. Five grand proclamations, starting with verse 5. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, and the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. The first thing we see here. Well, before I say that, I want you to understand when it says in verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, very rarely do we see in the book of Revelation where the voice from the throne spoke directly in Revelation. As a matter of fact, this is only the second time God has spoken himself in the entire book of Revelation. So this is coming from God's mouth himself. And he says, first of all, I am making everything new. Folks, it's not enough to wish God would have kept Adam and Eve from sinning. Why is that? Why didn't God just program Adam and Eve to not sin? And that way we could have been programmed. And then that way we could have just 
not had to deal with sin and just live and, and not had to go through all this. You ever thought that? I have. But here's the thing. Because of sin and because of what God has done for you and me, my friend, because he is making everything new, you were dead in your sin and your trespasses. And when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, the Bible says that he made you a new creature. Folks, we would not understand the depth of God's love if he had not provided a way for us to need it and receive it. Adam and Eve, they knew better and they sinned. But for you and I, we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. How much more love does that show? How much more concern? You should feel important that God would give his one and only son to die for you. Many of you have children and grandchildren and children in your life. Would you give them up to save somebody else? I would guarantee you I would say no. But God did because he loves you. Second thing he said, it is finished. It is finished. God's purpose of bringing his creation back unto himself is complete. Can you just imagine that? From the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. Everything that we've studied and know about God will come to a completion. Don't you just love it when a plan comes together? All the loose ends are tied up. Jesus' mission was a success. And all those who were chosen by God and who chose God will be with him. Then verse 3, it says, you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. I'll tell you what. I said it before and I'll say it again. There's a lot of things I don't like, but being thirsty is at the top of the list. Can't stand cotton mouth. It's awful. Wanting water, there's none. Wanting a good old thing of... uh, Crystal Light or some of y'all that can still drink sweet tea, I know I'm making you thirsty right now. But I also do not like to be thirsty spiritually or emotionally as well. And there are times where we all are both physically thirsty and spiritually thirsty, where you feel like your soul is like a parched, dry land in the desert. To be thirsty in eternity would be its own form of hell, in my opinion. And it says, we will thirst no more. Fortunately, God's word says, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. That sounds a lot like the tree of life as well, doesn't it? When I think about never thirsting again, I think of Jesus' exchange with the woman at the well. It says in John 4, verse 13, he says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drank the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. My friends, there was a day when my soul and my physical life was thirsty and I could not get enough. I lived for the approval of my friends. I did whatever they did. I drank whatever they drank. I smoked whatever they smoked. And I just wanted to have their approval. And do you not think that if it was so good, I'd go back to it? And some of you that are walking that line, I would tell you, look, if you think all of that lifestyle is, go for it and enjoy it while you can. But once you get the true Holy Spirit, the living water in your life, you don't want to go back to that. 
It's not a judgment upon those that are doing it, but it's just you have found a better source to where you will never thirst again. If not living for the Lord is so pleasurable, why doesn't more people do it? When we live for the Lord, we stay there because we can't find anything else that can fill us like God can. Drinking and thirst are common pictures of God's supply and man's spiritual need. And remember, drinking is an action. You've heard that saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you what? Can't make him drink. Drink is an action. We must drink. We must partake. We must, we must go to the well that he puts within us and get that spiritual nourishment that we need. And just like the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, the water of life will bless us throughout eternity. Number four, we will be victorious. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God and they will be my children. Just as Adam and Eve did, we will enjoy a father-child relationship with him. One of love, respect, and security. I tell you what, you are forever a child of God. I want you to look, those of you that have children or grandchildren or children that are very special to you and understand how much you love them, that's how much God loves you, no matter what you've done. You will be victorious, believers. And number five, those who do evil will be condemning themselves to hell. Those who do evil will condemn themselves to hell. This list of people are not a list of overcomers, but those that have been overcome by their sin. And I hate to see that. I hate to see that. That's why we try so hard as a church, and I try personally to tell people about Jesus so that doesn't happen. But ultimately, some people will choose to live for themselves and live for sin. And at the end of the day, when the game is over, it's over. Cowards, it talks about. John starts the list with cowards. Those that were too afraid to submit to the Lord's leadership on earth will now be subjected to it without choice. You understand that, right? Everybody is going to bow before the Lord and submit to His Lordship, either willingly as a child of God or begrudgingly as someone that wants to be separated from Him. And they will be. Pollution is gradual. And these people have been polluted with sin. I I watch TV and I I see people talk and I hear people talk. And I can't believe the things that are coming out of their mouth. The evil and the the hatred towards God and God's people. And then I think, well, they've just been polluted. When I think about pollution, I think about that day a while back where we uh, joined the Homeland Park Community Watch. And we um, picked up trash. Just this one triangle here beside our church was what? Ten bags? Large bags of trash. And I drove by that stuff every day and never saw it. I see it now. But folks, be careful of the sin that we let pollute our lives because we won't see it until it's too late. And those that turned from God and refused his love were deceived and did not realize the depths of their sin polluted lives. They were overcome by their sin. So finally, I would say this. Confirm your reservation in heaven today. Now, this is a picture of a rocket. I'm not saying that a rocket will get you to heaven. But I I thought this was ironic. Did you know 
that a hundred, one hundred finalists have been chosen for a one-way trip to Mars. There are people that have applied for this and are hoping that they can do this. They can take a one-way trip to Mars. You can't make this up. Dutch nonprofit Mars One has named 100 people who will remain in the running for a one-way trip to Mars, expected to leave Earth in 2024, so just in three years. Do you know how many people applied? Anybody want to take a guess? Over 200,000 people applied for a one-way trip to Mars. Some of you are thinking, I know somebody I'd like to sit on that trip. Shame on y'all. But the thing is, is that out of those 200,000, 24 will be trained. And the first four will take the first trip if all things go according to plan. Now look, I am grateful that there are people willing to take a one-way trip to Mars in the name of science. But ultimately, one day their lives will be over. They fought so hard to get their name on a book for a huge science project that may have ramifications for our world. And and I appreciate that. But it doesn't matter how far you go out into space. If you do not have your ticket punched for heaven, you will go to hell. It's in the Bible. I hate to be so blunt, but people don't preach that today. There are people that think that they can save lives by going to Mars. Look, I think it's good. If I'm alive to see that, y'all can say, Preacher, remember when you said that? Now I bet you're eating your words now. I will eat them. I will eat them. But imagine the faith that it takes for somebody to take a one-way trip to Mars that would reject Jesus as their Savior and Lord. I don't get it. I do not get it. My friend, as we talk the next few weeks about the glories of heaven and the new Jerusalem, I want you to know this. Your reservation is set. Once you accept Jesus as your forgiver of your sins and ultimate leader of your life, it will be an experience that will last for eternity. Mm -hmm.